Hi folks, Lisa Monaco here. As usual, plenty of national security issues making the headlines. The Senate Intelligence Committee has released its fifth and final report on Russia's interference in the 2016 election. The Justice Department announced the largest ever seizure of cryptocurrency accounts linked to terror organizations. The story of President Trump's decision to ban TikTok and WeChat by executive action continues to develop. And the arrest of Hong Kong's media tycoon, Jimmy Lai, marks the most concerning action yet taken under China's national security law. I talk about all this and more with Ken Weinstein on the newest episode of the United Security Podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip with listeners of Stay Tuned with Preet. To listen to our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid .edu email qualify for a discount at cafe.com slash student. That's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So we've just been talking about the double-edged sword of the technology of blockchain and and the cryptocurrency that it enables. There's a lot going on in the technology space and national security space over the last week or so. We've got uh, new executive orders that uh, the Trump administration has issued, specifically going after TikTok and WeChat. Now, you may need to get your 11-year-old again, Ken, to explain to you what TikTok is. Are you kidding? She spends 23 of 24 hours a day on TikTok. I haven't seen any of your TikTok I shudder to think what a 15-second TikTok dance video from Ken Weinstein would look like. Oh, it's hot. It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that visual. So, you know, this caught a lot of headlines. One, because it involves TikTok and, you know, everybody, um, most people uh, know what that is or they've got kids who, you know, are constantly, constantly on it. But it is, these are, these are pretty important moves when you think about both the intersection of technology and the data issues uh, around privacy and national security that people are focused on and what it says about the ratcheting tensions with China. So let, let's kind of unpack what these executive orders were. Yeah, so president issued executive orders as to both TikTok and WeChat. TikTok is that, uh, what we all know, is that, that service that allows short videos to be disseminated. And then WeChat is a, exactly that, a chat service. And a payment platform. It's, you know, what everybody in, in China uses. Starting with the TikTok order, the president declared, and this is, you know, in pursuant to his authority, he declared that there, you know, is a national emergency that he'd announced in a previous executive order back in 2019 about the need to secure their the country's, our country's information and communications technology and supply chain against foreign interference. That's the emergency that he had already announced. And based on that emergency in this new executive order, he said that they needed to take action against TikTok because TikTok and its use was um, seen as a threat to that, uh, the, that emergency, that it might add to that emergency. And specifically that the executive order said that within 45 days, the Secretary of Commerce would determine uh, which transactions would be banned with the, the company that owns TikTok, which is called ByteDance, a Chinese company. Uh, and so the import of this is to ban transactions with ByteDance and TikTok. 
which is which is pretty striking because TikTok is used, as you said, by every kid in this country. It has um, a significant presence, offices and the like here in the United States. It has investments in the United States. It has, uh, you know, terms of service with all the people who use it. And so taken to its fullest extent, this could ban any interaction and subject somebody to punishment for any interaction, business interaction with TikTok. Similar executive order, basically the identical executive order as it relates to WeChat. Um, and these, went in, these were put in place without a lot of explanation other than sort of a general reference to the threats that they were concerned about. And that specifically they were, you know, that the, the reason for this was, as I said, to try to protect the American telecommunications and internet and to prevent the, uh, these systems from being used to collect information about U.S. persons that maybe the Chinese could take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, let's kind of go at here what the, what the concerns uh, might be, right, that, that motivated uh, some of this. On the one hand, you've got massive amounts of data collection going on in something like TikTok and WeChat, right, collecting data. Uh, I mean, they're not alone in this, quite obviously, but collecting data on U.S. users that could be used by the Chinese government for intelligence purposes and other reasons. So, you know, that is one set of concerns animating, I think, potentially these actions. And then you've got the broader concerns that China is going to use the data that it collects uh, through these services and others, coupled with its, you know, significant control that it exerts over Chinese companies it could use this data to inform and accelerate its own technology development efforts um, and kind of win this and or advance in the kind of innovation race that China and the U.S. Uh, have really been dueling in um, uh, for the last couple of years, right? And this is of a piece, I think, with the Trump administration's effort to um, move in a more, you know, to try and isolate more China and the purchase of Chinese technology. We see this in the efforts to get our allies not to purchase uh, from Huawei, et cetera, and to use Huawei to build its their 5G grids, et cetera. So this is all of a piece with the strategy to isolate China, to um, keep them from uh, advancing in this innovation race. Yeah. So in terms of the rationale, the, the, the rationales that have been floated are the ones that you, you know, in terms of the specific threat that uh, relate to the um, national emergency that the president announced in the previous executive order. It's the fact that these companies might use the information. Obviously, they, use, they collect a lot of information about the users, both WeChat users and uh, TikTok users. It's secondly, that um, TikTok in particular uh, might be censoring content that the Chinese government doesn't approve of. Um, and there are concerns that they're censoring content about the Hong Kong protests and about how China treats uh, Muslim minorities and that kind of thing. So that's obviously a concern. Um, and then also that the, the these platforms can be used to spread disinformation, sort of back to what we talked about in relation to the elections. But generally, uh, that uh, there have been allegations that the Chinese government, you know, had TikTok disseminate videos that um, addressed uh, conspiracy theories about how the coronavirus was spread. And so there are they have sort of these this nest of concerns that are uh, legitimate national security counterintelligence concerns. 
we should point out the Senate voted recently to prohibit federal employees from using TikTok on their government phones, right? The Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Defense has all said, uh, tells its employees not to, not to use TikTok. Uh, I think the government of India banned the use of uh, TikTok and other Chinese mobile applications. So, you know, these are, these are not, you know, far-fetched concerns. Not at all. And look, the, the broader concern that you said is that these, these are Chinese companies and under Chinese law, the Chinese government can prevail upon them to do things uh, for the Chinese government's interests. And, and look, you know, TikTok says they, they respond to these allegations. They deny that these are real concerns. They talk about how TikTok information about U.S. users is stored in the U.S. And I think there's a backup in Singapore, but not in China. Um, but it's still a very real concern that the Chinese government can lean on Chinese uh, private companies uh, to do their bidding. And look, you know, we've seen that over and over. I, you, you talk to U.S. Secret Service officers, and I, the, um, I just remember, you know, the stories are endless stories about going into hotels in, in China and, uh, you know, private company hotels and pulling listening devices out of the wall when I was there uh, for the government. And so, you know, that's, that's an example of a private company where uh, it's being used, you know, one way or another for... Um, the Chinese government's uh, intelligence purposes. So uh, it's a very real concern. So I'm not, I, I don't want to dismiss it. The, uh, the question though is, does the president have that authority? And, the, and I'm sure this will probably be subject to a challenge both on First Amendment grounds because this is expressive activity, also on constitutional grounds because, you know, look, TikTok is not like one of these Hong Kong officials who's been designated uh, in response to the the new uh, national security law over in, in Hong Kong. This is, you know, a company that's enmeshed in the in in America in our economy. It, it has all the constitutional protections of any other company here in the United States. So, you know, there are going to be significant legal challenges against it. But as you pointed out, the president under IEPA has that authority. IEPA. It sounds like I you, you know you just had a. Um... Yeah, hiccup, exactly. You're referring, of course, to the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, right? No, I'm referring to AIPA. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, uh, look, I think it's, things that are interesting about this uh, to me is this is a expansive use of an expansive power, right? Um, uh, in in this uh, ability to to sanction or restrict investment in the United States. Uh, to restrict transactions with these companies. And it is another sign in this, you know, what people have described as a new Cold War uh, between China and the United States. But let's talk about the authorities here for a second. I mean, IEPA, the, what you just referenced in your hiccup that you just had, is one of these very significant authorities. Uh, it's one of a group of authorities that the, that the president has, the executive branch has, to restrict foreign investment or other interactions with uh, companies and under uh, other authorities to review transactions and potentially to block them or impose conditions on them. So, you know, there's a there's kind of a basket of these authorities. This this IEPA uh, authority is one of the most significant. And it's interesting, this this authority, the one we've been talking about, um, IEPA, grew out of the church committee hearings and the reviews that were done in the 70s 
of uh, very expansive executive power, whether it was in the form of uh, overstepping by um, the CIA, the FBI, and ultimately, of course, Watergate. Uh, and at the time, it's interesting, they were focused, the church committee, that is, was focused on this very Orwellian-sounding law called the Trading with the Enemy Act. And that was used to prosecute Americans who did business with uh, Germany in the, in the World War I era. Uh, and I guess the, the view of the church committee at the time was that was a very expansive uh, statute. And they were looking for something consistent with their mandate to review expansive executive power. They wanted to have Congress have some more of a role in reviewing the use of such powers. And, you know, and so this IEPA statute has some ability for Congress to review this declaration of a national emergency at regular interview, at regular intervals, that is, and kind of recertification processes. And I remember when I served as Homeland Security Advisor, as I'm sure you had this role too, Ken, there would regularly have to be a recertification of certain national emergencies that the president had declared, right? And you have to report that uh, to Congress. So it, it is interesting that this very broad power has these roots in, you know, kind of a century ago, uh, this, this original used to constrain trading with the enemy, as it were. Yeah, it's actually just interesting to go back and look at, at the first use of that statute right after it was passed. You're too young to remember this, but I, of course, am not, which is the, uh, the Iran hostage crisis when the Iranians rose up and um, took over our embassy and held whatever several dozen Americans hostage for 400 and some days. Uh, and uh, President Carter was in office and this statute was new in the books. And soon after the Iranians took over the embassy, they tried to pull out $6 billion of assets that were here in the United States. Um, obviously realizing that they were on a different footing vis-a-vis the United States now. And so they wanted to get our, their assets out. And the president really agonized about whether to use this authority because he was worried about the message it would send to the world that we would be stepping in, our government would be stepping into the financial arena and and seizing people's assets. But he did, um, which was the right call ultimately. And I think that was a sort of important test run. Today, Iran made the first move. Within hours, the United States responded. And now the 11-day-old crisis between the two countries has moved into a new phase. This was the sequence. Iran declares its intention to withdraw all its assets from the United States. They claim $12 billion worth. The United States says no more than $6 billion. President Carter then formally declares a national emergency and blocks or freezes all property and funds of the Iranian government in this country, meaning they can't withdraw anything. And in still another counter move, the Secretary of State rushes to New York to try to block Iran's demand for a meeting of the UN Security Council, an action virtually unprecedented for this country to take. But then, it is also unprecedented for diplomats and embassy employees to be held hostage in and by the country that is supposed to be their host. Uh, obviously, it's hard to think of more compelling facts for using this kind of authority to intrude on uh, the economy and financial transactions than trying to keep the Iranians who were holding our people hostage from getting their, their funds out. And uh, and so that was sort of the, the, the first of the most high profile uses of this. And now we see that it's used much more regularly. And uh, in situations like this, where maybe the threat is not so immediate, not so immediately connected to, you know, blatantly criminal and egregious activity, but is yet a, an insidious national security threat, as people allege regarding TikTok and 
reach out. But, you know, there was there was one other aspect to this whole TikTok story that I found kind of fascinating over the last couple of weeks. And that is this whole controversy and discussion about whether or not TikTok could be purchased and kind of spun out to a U.S. company and what that transaction would entail. And President Trump weighed in in a really kind of unconventional, shall we say, way when he talked about if such a transaction were to occur, it could only occur in his view if basically the U.S. government got a cut, right? Got a, a cut of that transaction. But if somebody, and whether it's uh, Microsoft or somebody else buys it, that'll be interesting. I did say that uh, if you buy it, whatever the price is that goes to whoever owns it, because I guess it's China, essentially, but more than anything else. I said a very substantial portion of that price is going to have to come into the Treasury of the United States because we're making it possible for this deal to happen. Right now, they don't have any rights unless we give it to them. So if we're going to give them the rights, then it has to come into it has to come into this country. It's a little bit like the landlord tenant uh, without a lease. The tenant has nothing. What was your reaction to that? Yeah, that's a first. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like a referral fee for the U.S. government allowing a transaction. I hope you've all enjoyed this sample from the United Security Podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>